This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip Spirit solves the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation and botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or dot and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. They're available in Canada and in the U.S. and now at LCBO stores across Ontario. Again, that is SeedLipDrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I am so glad that you could join me for happy hour on This Family Tree Podcast, episode 154. And folks, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, it has been hard for me. Today is hard for me. I'm suffering from a concussion. More on that in a little bit. But if I am mixing up my words, if I'm taking a couple times to say something right, please bear with me. I have a great episode for you tonight. I speak with Nina Pierwall. She's an author of the book, Let That Shit Go, and she is just an all-around inspiring and phenomenal woman. We talk about and extreme tragedy that she went through as a teenager and how that grief and that trauma kind of transformed the rest of her life. So you need to hear this one. It is probably the most unique experience I've ever heard on this podcast with a guest. It really is. (laughs) It's an affecting story and I can't wait uh, for you guys to tell me what you think. So tune in for that. And tonight, it is just me, and I'm still enjoying a Seedlip non-alcoholic cocktail. I made myself a little Seedlip Caesar just to get in the mood, and the mood for podcasting, not for anything else. But it's tricky. I mean, I'm on Seedlip right now in all of life because of this stupid concussion. And I want to touch on that because I've been having a few people DM me over Instagram or text me and be like, Alex, uh, how'd you get that concussion? And almost kind of like insinuating there was foul play or something. And it made me really self-conscious. So I wanted to bring it up, but I was showing off for the kids and I am such a dope We had a movie night at my daughter's school. And before the movie night, like everybody was excited. I was all pumped up and we were running around and I tried to jump up the stairs in our house. And like, I'm talking like I'm trying to clear as many stairs as I can in one jump to show how high I can jump, which is stupid in retrospect, because not only am I setting myself up for injury, but I'm also modeling a terrible practice for my kids. So don't do this at home. But we do have a very old house. And because our house is so old, some things are a little off. Like our house is completely on a slant. If you look at a lot of the door frames, they're slanted. We love it. It's a part of the charm. But over our stairs is a door frame. And the stairs are quite steep. So when you start going up them, like if you're over 6'2", you're going to bonk your head. 
And if you're five, seven and a half, jumping as high as you can, you're definitely gonna bonk your head. So that's what happened. I bonked my old noggin and I was down in excruciating pain, excruciating. I didn't consider for a second that I might be suffering from a concussion. It just hurt really bad. And then we gather the kids. We go to the movie night at Lucy's school, which was awesome. They were playing Polar Express in the gym. Except we're in a gym with a hundred kids and Polar Express playing out of these speakers that is then echoing through a gym really loudly. So I sat through that and I, you know, as the movie's going on, I'm like, oh my God, like I think something's definitely wrong. Um, it wasn't just regular headaches. I was really dizzy. I was feeling kind of out of it, but whatever. Went home, went to bed. Next day, I get up and I go to work. And at work, I'm shaky. Like my hands were kind of shaky. My body was kind of shaky. And I started feeling nauseous. It was hard for me to string sentences together, especially as the day went on. And I was like, yeah, something is definitely wrong. Probably shouldn't be here. I kept my lights off all week at work after that. And it was really tough. And I took the day off today to finally sit down, lay down on my couch all day and recover a little bit. And that was really at Shane's behest because this morning was kind of tough and I'm getting ready to go to work. And Shane goes, Alex, like you need to calm down. You need to slow down because you're not yourself right now. And you need to just, I think, take the day and relax from this because you suffered a concussion. You have a head injury. And I'm so happy I did, like truly, because I really needed it. And the few times that I did get to using my brain today, I really, I paid for it after. It hurt. It really hurt. And it's it's been tricky. So this is part of the reason I wanted to do the podcast alone tonight was so that I could go at my own pace, go with my own stream of consciousness, because I found that having a conversation and using my brain power to be in that conversation, for some reason, that is like harder on me and it gives me a really bad headache than if I'm just kind of going off on my own. So as it is tonight, I mean, Shane is expecting, full on expecting to come home from work and sit down to the podcast with me. But I just, I had to do it on my own right now. Um, Number one, because of brain power. And number two, just because I have some, I have some things that I do want to kind of talk about just for my own catharsis, I guess. But with the injury, with the concussion, you know, I had a friend say to me at a brunch on the weekend, because I went to a brunch, a Christmas brunch. I didn't want to miss it. And she goes, Al, you got to take care of yourself. You got to slow down and actually get seen. Because I was talking about some other medical conditions I have, like pelvic floor issues and whatnot. And she goes, when are you taking time to do these things for yourself? And I said, never. <laughs> like, I wish I had a better answer than never. And it's such bullshit that I'm prioritizing my health so low. But honestly, it's so hard to not do that. I mean, Shane and I are both working our butts off. We have family stuff when we're not working our butts off. We have extracurriculars. We have, you know, second and third jobs. Then I have doctor's appointments I got to take the kids to. 
And that is even hard to schedule and take time off work for and get to. So to go on my own for me is even harder. And I think I've spoken about this before on the podcast, even when I think on a solo episode. And I really don't take the time. So I'm not going to go in right now for this concussion to the doctor. I think that, you know, it's been improving every day and taking today off work was really helpful. So I'm going to play this one by ear, but I do need to book in with physio. And folks, if you're listening, if you're a parent, if you're not a parent and you just, you know, dedicate all of your time to your social life, to work, to whatever it is, make sure that you are taking the time for yourself. I recently did an Instagram poll and asked moms, you know, what health diagnoses have you missed for yourself because you never take that time and you prioritize your own health below the freaking dishes in the kitchen sink. And there were some really scary scenarios. Like I'm talking cancer diagnoses. I'm talking about other kinds of brain injuries. I'm talking about chronic illness. And this isn't something new. I mean, moms have been doing this since the beginning of time, right? And the healthcare system is set up to allow us to keep, you know, not prioritizing our own health. Because it is so hard to get a doctor and women's health isn't very well studied. They aren't saying, hey, come in, you know, every couple months after you give birth because we need to keep checking on you, not just the baby. We need to see you. We need to see how you're doing mentally, how you're doing physically. It is so hard. So we've kind of been conditioned, programmed to deprioritize our health because not even the healthcare system is prioritizing us. Not even the government is prioritizing us as women, as moms. And it is so, it's so infuriating that this is kind of sunk in and, you know, taking over my brain, but that's how it is. And I need to fight against that. And I need to start prioritizing my health. But that's where I'm at, guys. Concussion, having trouble with brain function (laughs) sentences. I mean, I think I do on a regular day because I am just such a flustered, kind of chaotic person, but this is on a different level. It really is an injury I knew nothing about prior prior to this happening, but yeah, it sucks. And I mean, the last couple weeks have been heavy as it is. You know, I've kind of brought it up on our Instagram accounts, Shane and I may have touched on it uh, in the podcast a little bit, but I know we haven't really spoken about it. But we've had a couple deaths, few people uh, close to us, two people close to us in the last few weeks have passed, both unexpectedly. And it has been really hard. And I know I talk in the interview coming up with Nina today um, about grief and about how grief takes different forms. And it's not always just about losing somebody to death. It's, you know, a relationship, grieving the life you've had, all these different things. And I mean, the two, what's up, Lou? Um, um, I wanted you a calendar so, so you and your Christmas. Okay, sweetheart, you can go get some paper and go bring it up to your room, but don't come down, okay? Mommy's working. Okay, so that's Lou interrupting my stream of consciousness with, a cute request. But we've had two people die. One person who was one of my best friends in high school. I haven't seen him for maybe eight years and we're leading, you know, lives that I we know 
not much of each other's adult lives, but was super close in high school. And he died so unexpectedly. And I was shocked at how hard that hit me. He was one of the best people I've ever known. Just so genuine, so nice. And so I think I was in like 10th grade and myself, my buddy who has now passed, my buddy, and then this other guy, Frank. I did not know Frank from a fly on the wall, but for somehow the three of us got together and decided we were going to see a Damien Marley and Kanon show in Toronto. And like, I don't think I'd ever been allowed to leave the house by myself, like to go to Toronto, to go to a different city. So it was a huge moment for me in my, I don't know, like becoming a teenager, kind of learning things. And me and these two guys went to Toronto, had like the most hilarious fun night at this show, came home, always had this connection. I remained friends, obviously, like best friends with my my guy who passed. But it was just for some reason, I, I think about that moment so often because it was one of the first things I was allowed to do as like an independent person. And he was there for that. And honestly, he was there for so much and was Every single day, like every single day of my high school career, the person that you'd see who would bring a massive smile to your face and could just make you feel so good, make you laugh. So when he passed and, you know, we went to see him in the casket and everything, I mean, it was so affecting. And he has a family now and I can't even imagine what they're experiencing and I'm for anybody I mean two-time podcast guests Brooke and Bridget the speech sisters um one of them I think it was Brooke or Bridget jeez I gotta look it up but she just lost her husband they were on a family vacation and her husband drowned doing something that he had done a million times before and it's so terrifying so those two things happen in the same week um and then the following week our neighbor across the street who was a big fan of this podcast a big fan of just supporter of everything shane and i did you know whether it was on the street with our kids or online or whatever just the nicest person that you could meet died unexpectedly she she had cancer got removed then she just, she fell really ill and we couldn't figure it out. And then within three weeks had passed and we never got to see her. <laughs> and then her last night in her house before she got moved to the hospital, we were supposed to go over, but it was raining. So we didn't. And that would have been our last chance. And that's been really hard to sit with. And everything the last couple of weeks has just felt so heavy and so sad. And I haven't really been able to process things well because there's so much excitement with Christmas and whatnot. And I just keep thinking of these families and the people that are really feeling these losses the heaviest. And it's just, it's so hard to sit with. Um, so I think I just wanted to to pop on and kind of talk about that because you know, I feel like that kind of heaviness has been with me in whatever I've been doing the past couple of weeks. So I wanted to honor it and to honor those people who 
you know, I had only known Sherry, our neighbor, for three years, but she made a huge impact. And then with my friend Chris, I hadn't seen him in the last eight years, but he made a huge impact on me when I was a teenager, a huge impact. And the kindness of people like that, you just don't forget. So I really wanted to just kind of give that a second. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I really wanted to give that a second. Um, And those people really hold a special place in my heart. Man, holidays are tough. (laughs) I'm sure there's so many of us who, uh, who are feeling this. I mean, as we get older, right, this is what happens. Every, everybody we know. And I don't mean to be like making this like a sad doomsday kind of podcast, but it, grief is hard, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Grief is so difficult. It takes different forms. It comes up in weird moments. It hits you when you're not expecting it to hit you hard. And that's okay. It's all so totally okay. This is life. This is how we learn how to transform ourselves to you know make connections this is how we can prioritize the connections that we have it puts things into perspective and I think you're gonna get that out of Nina's grief story and her healing journey and everything that she went through I think she has the most beautiful story of transformation and change and self-realization And I can't wait for you to hear it. So I'm going to go on over to the interview. But before we do that, I want to tell you who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable clothing company founded and created in Toronto. An hour outside of Hamilton. Nice and close. And Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity. And they make the best basics that you can get for your kids. I'm talking fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, timeless, and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. And we had the kids decked out in mini miosh tonight for the Santa Claus parade. I'm wearing a mini miosh winter hat as we speak, (laughs) and it is the best, most comfortable hat I've ever worn in my life. Well, that's the thing. They have a new like winter collection out, like outerwear. So they have scarves for kids. They've got toques for adults, toques for kids, and it is all so cozy and so warm. And like, it looks, it looks amazing. I'm putting my name on the line that I stand by this quality. <laughs> Tell them Shane sent you. Mini Miosh also now has a women's collection out, which is something that we've been, you know, crossing our fingers for, for years. And I am absolutely in love. So this is the M and West collection. It's simple. It's made of French terry and it's ethical and sustainable. All the things that you love about Mini Miosh, it's super high quality and just like, it feels amazing to wear. I, I rarely have taken it off since I got like a shipment in last week. Like, it's you- true. Might want to throw it in the lawn. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> All of their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US and it is one use per customer. So load up your carts. Again, that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. But we are also supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best bras you can get your hands on. So I got hooked on them when I was nursing. Hooked or clipped? Hooked and clipped for their nursing bras. (laughs) Hooked to the back, clipped on the front. Got you. But they were so practical and so comfortable and just incredible quality. 
So I didn't really want to use anything else because they were amazing. And now that I have weaned my second baby and I'm out of the nursing bra world, Bravado Designs has an everyday collection. So these are bras with no clips, but it's the same quality, the same comfort that you fell in love with with the nursing collection. I weaned you off your other bras. <laughs> and because I'm the one who introduced you to Bravado Designs. It's true. It's true. And then and then you got me hooked on their everyday collection. Yeah. What was so funny there? Is there something so funny about me weaning you? There's a lot of funny about that. Got but you. you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that's bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. And now let's get to the interview with Nina pure wall. Nina, I'm so happy to have you on this Family Tree podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm hoping that you could give me and give the listeners a little brief on what it is exactly that you do, because you seem like a woman who has a hand in many things. And when I was looking you up and trying to do my research, I'm like, oh, God, she's you're kind of doing everything and you're everywhere. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. I so appreciate you. I do dabble in a number of things. Ultimately, my mission is to give people hope through adversity. And so just with the tragedies and the traumas I've gone through, I have studied a lot of ancient wisdom. I lived in an ashram for a year amongst my corporate career. And I came back from that year realizing that so much of that is applicable to the real world. So the majority of what I do is corporate workshops. So I go into companies and do workshops on mental health, wellness, mindfulness. I'm also uh, the author of the international bestseller, Let That Shit Go. So of course, you know, the 120 tips in the book are things that I advocate for, whether it be self-love or forgiveness or authenticity, finding that tech balance. And then I also have dabbled in kids stuff. I've partnered with a kids book about our kids company about, I should say, doing kids meditations and a kids podcast. I'm super passionate about youth mental health. And I'm an executive grief ambassador for the Season Center for Grieving Children, who um, they're, they're an organization I went to as a teen. And now I'm just an advocate for youth getting help since, you know, death tolls have increased in Canada anyway, um, you know, a lot, a lot due to mental health, whether it's addiction or suicide. So just passionate about that as well. So yeah, dabbling in a little of everything, but trying to give the world some hope and some light where I can and, and myself too, because, you know, I'm not a perfect human either. No, I, I love that so much. And I, I really love when I see somebody's passion just cross over into so many avenues because there's so many ways that we can find outlets, you know, for creativity, for what we love to do. And there's so many ways we can help the world, I think. And it's funny because I keep having women on and it's like, okay, I'm getting somebody on here to talk about grief. I'm getting somebody on here to talk about, you know, kids being scared of school. But then the conversation just turns into all these other things because I find that it's so hard when you're passionate about something. It's so hard to just stay in one lane. You know, and and I really, I really love that. I think it's a good example. And I think it's just, it makes everything way more fun. But Nina, I want to ask, if I may, and you just tell me, shut up, Alex, if you don't want to talk about one thing or the other, that's totally fine. But I'm an open book. 
Um, I do want to talk about grief. And that's one of the things I initially reached out to you for. And I was curious about, you know, the event that was a catalyst for you starting this journey. Yeah. So that was many, many years ago. I was 16 at the time and my mom wanted to leave my dad. She was in an abusive marriage for 22 years. It was a very unhealthy, very toxic, very controlling and manipulative uh, marriage and household for my brother and I. So she served him with divorce papers, shocked the crap out of him because he always had a handle on her, was really neurotic for about six months, couldn't handle it, was an extreme you know, narcissist, also struggled with a bunch of other mental health issues. And six months after she served him with papers, he uh, took my brother's life and he committed suicide. So it was a murder suicide, essentially. Um, And he was planned on taking me to it was all premeditated. And so it was literally a stroke of luck that I was out of the house. Um, And a sheer coincidence, uh, his, his, his plan was to basically leave my mom with nothing like the ultimate revenge. So he burnt down our house. He took my brother's life. He took his own. Um, and this is why every day I'm just I'm just grateful to be alive because I wasn't in, intended to be here. But I guess the universe had different plans for me. So that that was the catalyst to me at a very young age, at 16, questioning what's life about, what's my purpose here, you know, what, you know, why are we all here? Um, and that's when I really got into studying ancient wisdom. Oh my God! So. And, you know, I didn't want to read anything about it. I wanted to hear it okay. from you. And yeah, honestly, I wasn't expecting that. Um, that is a different level of trauma. Um, yeah, it was very violent. You know, I won't go into the details, but it was very violent, you know, how it was done. And I was exposed to the, the crime scene. It was just, there was a lot of trauma. There's been a lot of healing in the last 25 years. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. And. I mean, to think about a 16-year-old, so I'm in education as well, and I work with a lot of high school students. You're at, and I don't care if you've had the most, you know, silver spoon privileged life or a tough life, but you are at the most influential part of your life in that you are so easily influenced by different things and you are so easily set off on one path by the things that happen around you. And as a 16-year-old, I mean, I've seen kids go off the rails for something much smaller than that. But I'm so curious how you at that time managed to channel that trauma and grief into like essentially a wellness meditation journey (laughs) instead of something else. Because so many people get so destructive after tragedy. Yeah. And it's a fine line, to be honest. I had many opportunities to go down the dark rabbit hole and I was close to, I had a really hard, nobody talked about trauma. This was in 1997. Mm -hmm. Okay. So no one talked about trauma. No one talked about mental health. Nobody even told me I went through trauma until like a decade ago. Right. So I was just kind of expected to pick up the pieces and continue on with life. You know, I was in grade 11 at the time. Um, I spent a lot of time in my guidance counselor's office and, you know, one day she handed me a pamphlet for the season center for grieving children. And, you know, it was awful in high school because it's already awkward enough, you know, being in high school, you know, being a girl of color in a predominantly white high school, everyone was amazing. Everyone was nice. I never felt any, you know, um, uh, adverse effects of that, but 
I felt like it was written on my forehead. You know, there was caution tape around our house for days. We were on the cover of the paper. So I felt it, even though I had an amazing support system, I felt like that's the girl. And so when I went to the season center, it was peer to peer support for other teens who had gone through extreme trauma Mm -hmm. as well and loss. And suddenly I felt like I could breathe again. Suddenly I felt like seen, felt heard. And there was a moment where, you know, at one of the meetings, about half of the the other kids were going down the rabbit hole, were getting into addiction and all kinds of things. And the other half were trying to move on as, as normally as I could. And I had a thought to myself that only I have the capacity to pull myself out of this. It's my choice to go down a dark path or to pull myself up and live the life that I want. Um, and so so I just did that. I finished school. I went off to university, business school. I had a great career in sales and marketing. Mind you, I think I suppressed and repressed and toxic positivity in my way through a lot of my twenties, <laughs> to be honest, because nobody really, again, like my mom, you know, set me up with a child psychologist, but I, you know, didn't do anything for me. So I really didn't get into therapy um, until like my early thirties, to be honest. Oh, wow. But I was really into spirituality. So I think that really helped me stay grounded. Like I've been meditating for 18 years now, you know, that the, we're all one, we're all consciousness. No one really is born or dies. Like all of those theories kind of really helped me stay grounded. No, that honestly is so incredible because even, you know, I, I the way you even said, like nobody can take you out of that and put you on the right path except for yourself, I think is a very courageous and self-aware way to look at it, which is rare because it's so easy in a situation like even if nothing happens like it's so easy in a situation to cast blame on whatever it else it was and then say oh I'm like this because of this because of that person and honestly I'm never going to question somebody if they say that because I'm like yeah I would be too you know what I mean I don't even think that I'd have the skill or the desire to not put the blame elsewhere. That's that's so hard and I imagine that that would take daily work. Is that how is that how it is? I mean, it was kind of just I couldn't I felt like in a way I couldn't blame my dad cuz he was long gone. Mm-hmm. And I think nobody really acknowledged it much, so I just tried to be as normal as I could. So, you know, it's not that I you know, I I continued on um, and I, I had a lot of anger towards him and I had a lot of blame. I mean, I couldn't even grieve my brother for two years because I was so angry at my dad. Like I wish he had lived so I, he could be in jail and I could confront him. So I had a lot of anger, but, you know, I kind of realized by, by going down that dark hole, it was only going to impact me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was, he was dead and gone. So the only person that it was going to have an adverse effect on was, was me. And so that sense of, of self accountability. And I think coupled with the fact that no one sat me down and was like, you just went through crazy trauma. I just thought I was dumb. I went from like an A student to just barely p- passing. And I, uh, you know, even my degree, I, I, I just barely got through. I remember leaving lecture hall and being, you know, thinking what the hell did they just talk about? I have no idea. <laughs> and, you know, Laurier, the school I went to invited me back for a fireside chat with a mental health professor professor. And we had a, we had a pre-chat and she said, you know, the fact that you put your clothes on and walked into lecture hall and actually 
made it there and sat there is an absolute miracle. You know, I just started bawling my eyes. It was like 25 years later, but the validation of, okay, I wasn't dumb. Like, even though I studied and I barely, I wasn't dumb. It was all the trauma and how that scientifically affects your brain and your memory. So I think it, you know, it was just this sense of, yeah, self-awareness and accountability that kept me moving forward and and as positive as I could. So in this situation, what does grief look like? And I want to sit with grief for a second because I know that there's so many different types of grief. I've experienced different types of grief in my life, whether it's like the loss of somebody close, a miscarriage, a relationship, whatever it is. And uh, somebody close to me was um, cheated on by their husband and left by their husband. I was very close to the husband too. So when he left, it was like grieving a death almost because the person we knew was gone. So I'm curious how grief works in this situation, in your experience, like you're angry at your father, is there grief there? And how how are you able to express that, if at all? Yeah, um, so much grief. And I want to reiterate that grief just isn't the loss of a person, the death of a person. It can be, you know, someone who's still here, who's no longer in your life. It could be your own life. You're grieving the life you thought you had. Um, there's so many ways of grief. I think, you know, the biggest thing is to not judge the process of grief or make it fit into any type of, you know, there's the five stages of grief, which yes, you might experience different stages, but I stopped judging it. And I just learned how to feel, which is something I didn't do. And yeah, you know, I, I, I pretty much majority of my life was, it was about my brother. I didn't think about my dad. I pretended he didn't exist in my head. He was a monster until I turned, you know, in, in my early thirties, then I lost my mom. I lost my, yeah, my mom, who was my best friend, my cheerleader, my hero, literally, we traveled the world together, we did everything together. Um, and she, she, we went to the ashram together for a year. And when we came back, she was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's, or ALS. She died a very slow, painful death in the, in the span of two years. And, you know, I was pregnant when she died, it was this whole thing. But that's when everything came up for me around grief again, because yeah. It was like, okay, now she's my last, she was my last family member and all the grief from my brother, my mom, and now even my dad has come up. Um, And with my dad, I, after that, I went on a two year forgiveness journey. And I think that's when I started to open the door of actually grieving him because I kind of blocked him out in any good memories of him. So you know, grief is an interesting thing. You know, 25 years later, I still feel moments on anniversaries on birthdays so I think the biggest thing is you never get over it mm-hmm. if someone ever tells you like when are you gonna get over it it's been two decades it's been this long you know that is just so toxic to say because it's a forever thing you 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 don't get over it you learn to live with a new normal um so I think you know for me I did a lot of suppression and repression and then when I started to feel I just was present with it and I didn't judge no matter how much time has passed, no matter how intense the grief was, you know, I, I went to therapy, I had a grief therapist, and just learned, you know, how to accept, you know, that they were gone. Honestly, you're bringing up so many terms that I didn't even like a grief therapist didn't know that existed. Thank God they do, because that's Thank amazing. <laughs> and grief is so different for everyone, right? Like, we just lost uh, two people, that we loved in the last two weeks. So a neighbor across the street who was like a grandmother 
to our kids. And then one of my best friends from high school, I hadn't seen him in the last eight years, but he was one of my best friends in high school. And it was like shocking. And there's so much grief that comes with that. And honestly, I, I never have thought I've just I've been feeling so shitty the past couple of weeks, right? Just so heavy. Everything feels yeah. heavy. Everything feels hard. Everything feels sad. The sky has yeah. been gray. Are you around I Toronto? Am. I am. I'm in Stolo, but yeah. Okay. It's been gray. We're in Hamilton. Gray, crappy. Yeah. Nothing is yeah. nice and happy right now. And it's hard sometimes to pull yourself out of that sad place. Like it weighs you down. I feel like I have like weights on my back. How yeah. do you do that? If you ever find yourself like kind of sinking, is there anything you've learned, like any like, practical things to help oh, yeah. get you out of that? Definitely. And the first thing I would say is when you said, it, I, when I try to get myself out, <laughs> yeah. don't try. Okay. <laughs> Sit in it. And sometimes, because the thing is what you resist persists, right? So sometimes when you try to get out of it, it just keeps popping up and keeps showing up and keeps presenting itself. So I think the key is when I feel the grief come up, I allow myself, like I'm missing my mom or I see you know, a sign from my brother, like a blue jay or something. And I'll, I'll just have a little cry or, you know, I'll call a girlfriend and say like, shit, I'm really missing so-and-so, or I'll, you know, look at their pictures or, you know, do something to allow myself to express. So I think, you know, with, with the book, let that shit go. One of the the phrases is you can't let that shit go unless you bring that shit to surface. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's allowing yourself to do that, allowing yourself to feel that pain but then also like allowing yourself to let it go and release it. And, you know, there's so many different ways that you could do that, whether it's going for a walk, you know, doing a little meditation, having a mindful moment, um, you know, chatting with someone, you know, we heal in little ways. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just allowing yourself to feel and then coming out of that, not resisting, be like, Oh my God, I, I can't feel this right now. Allow it and allow your kids to see, like, you know, it's very healthy. Mm -hmm. Like my daughter will see me cry about my mom and She'll give me a hug and, you know, she might start crying and that's okay. Like, I think we have to let them know that it's, you know, um, it's normal to do that. So I think it's not resisting it, feeling it. And then, like you said, it's such a personal journey. So doing whatever you need to do to kind of just get back to ground level, whether that's having a glass of wine or like watching some Netflix, just decompressing mm -hmm. somehow. And again, it's not, it's not this thing where you experience it and then it goes away forever. It's going to, it's going to forever kind of do this little roller coaster. So just honoring it when it comes up and then allowing yourself to let it go and, and not feel guilty when you have a happy moment. A lot of people who've lost people, you know, say, Oh, when I'm happy, like I feel guilt. No, they want you to be happy. They would want that for you. So just loathing and all of it. So you mentioned a forgiveness journey. Is this, yes. is this like a thing or is this something that you decided to do on your own? Like I'm, I'm so uh, dumb when it comes to a lot in the wellness space because I'm only just discovering so much. I'm not a therapy person. I've tried it a couple times. I just don't okay. think I vibed with my therapist. I That's really, <laughs> yeah, I would really love <laughs> to have a good experience, but I like did not. Oh my God. It was just. It was awful. Yeah. I just felt like a number. I felt like – because, like, halfway through the the session, she's talking about, like, next session. I'm like, can you just tell me things right now? Like, I just feel yeah. like you want my money. Just please. And I need a therapist yeah. who's, like, going to, like, give me tough love or something. I don't know if that exists. But, yeah, I guess a – got off topic – a forgiveness journey. What yeah. is that? And is that 
like an actual thing that people do. Yeah. I made it up for myself. Nice. (laughs) So I just want to say with therapy, a lot of it is about finding the right therapist. And right now, a lot of therapists do like a trial call for free where you can chat with them for 15 to 20 minutes. And if there's, and now there's a lot of therapists that specialize. Like I've had a grief therapist last year. I did, I did a 20 week trauma therapy program. So, you know, some people have chronic illness. Like if there's certain like depression there's certain things they specialize in relationships, sex, all of it. So try to find a therapist that is specific to what you're trying to heal and then do do uh, like a discovery call because they okay. most of them do that now because a lot of the times it's just you haven't found the right person to, to click with and you do have to click with your therapist absolutely so the forgiveness journey yeah i was reading this letter that went viral from this daughter you know who was sexually abused by her father and he wanted to have her in his life again And she had this one line in there that says, you know, I'm going to forgive you, not for you, but for me. And something about that clicked in me that, holy shit, it's so like, you know, over a decade later, and I am holding on to so much anger and so much resentment. And he's gone. My dad's dead and gone. He's not getting the impacts of my anger and resentment. Who is it affecting? It's affecting me. And so suddenly I realized freedom, forgiveness is freedom. The minute I can forgive, not the act. So when I say forgiveness, I'm not saying you forgive the act. You're not writing their wrong. You're not, you don't have to make up with the person. They can be gone. They can be out of your life, but still alive. Um, you're forgiving. So you're letting go of what you're holding on to. Cause when you wake up at three in the morning and you're pissed off at that person, they're sleeping, they're fine. Right. So it's about you. And so, you know, we have a bunch of tips on, there's a chapter on forgiveness in the book. There's a bunch of tips, but I went through it. Um, I came at it with empathy. So I really did a lot of work on what was his childhood? Like, what was it like to be a, a man of Indian descent in the nineties you know, no, it was very taboo to get help with mental health, struggling with depression. Um, you know, he must have been in a really messed up place to have taken his son's life, right? So I kind of went at it from a point of empathy and it was amazing. The two years, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, but I had to kind of re-remember my childhood and remember that, you know, he also brought you know, positive things. I saw mediums. I did all kinds of things. Um, but I watched YouTube talks on forgiveness. I read about forgiveness, but essentially I realized for the forgiveness journey was about me. It took about two years for me to go through all that and heal through all that. And it's amazing because once I did, it's like the book deal landed in my lap. I started my own business because it's like your drawers only, you only have so much room in your drawer. So if you're holding on to like all the charge keys and all the things that's weighing you down, yeah. you know, there's no room for the new. So that's the other thing. When you let it go, you forgive, you can let so much go and make room for, for all the new and the amazing to come in. Yeah. that See, and that is, again, and I think this is how I described you turning your you know, kind of transforming into a life of like meditation and self-reflection after the tragedy. But it's courageous and it's brave. And again, for that forgiveness journey, you need to be so self-aware. And especially for that, I think you need to have so much strength to go and look at the person's, you know, the positive things they brought into your life as well as the negative and reflect on both equally maybe. I don't know. That sounds so 
difficult. How did you keep yourself sane when you were doing that? Because again, picturing myself, like if I'm doing this, how do I keep myself sane? I think I'd be bawling my eyes out all the time and then probably drink too much wine. Like, I don't know what I would do. (laughs) Uh, I was, I mean, I was bawling my eyes out and it was painful. And it, you know, for seeing him basically labeling him as like, oh, you're not existent. You're nothing to be, you're a monster. You're, you know, I can't believe how you violently took my brother's life. You know, it was very hard and I resisted, you know, but then I kept going back to, but this is for me, but this is for me. Everything I'm feeling about him is not affecting him. Um, So I honored the emotion, but at the same time, I also was focused on the outcome that I'm only going to come out uh, stronger, lighter, calmer, um, and be able to let go of those heavy, heavy things I was, I was holding on to, but it wasn't an easy journey. And I swear to God, the universe did weird things. Like, you know, I connected with a high school friend, you know, again, that she, had some good memories about my dad and she started talking and I said, Oh my God, I haven't heard a good thing. And I haven't allowed myself to hear, you know, so little things were happening that were kind of allowing me to, to be a conduit. We're, we're a conduit to, to my forgiveness, but it wasn't easy. <laughs> it was and people still say now, like, have you forgiven him? And I'm like, it's not black and white. Like I still, I have moments where I say, where I can almost thank him because I wouldn't be who I am if that incident didn't happen and I have moments where I'm still like, I can't, I cannot believe what you did, but I, I have a lot more of the the lighter moments than, yeah. you know, the tough ones. So you found, and this is like from a total outsider perspective who doesn't know you at all, but it sounds like you found transformation, I guess, in tragedy and yes. a way to kind of take on life that maybe you wouldn't have had before. And I want to ask you about the ashram experience. So yeah. can you can you ex- explain what that is exactly and what led you to that specific experience? Yeah, so I was working like thick into my corporate career sales and marketing and this opportunity my mom actually called me on the way to work she said, "Oh, this one year spirituality course came up in Northern California in the Redwoods and I'm taking your sabbatical and I'm going." And, you know, she was just very like after my dad died, this woman like lived in the moment like she would go ATVing and Jasper mountains and like <laughs> rappelling down That's waterfalls. Amazing. Like she wasn't, she wasn't allowed to have a friend or leave the house, you know, go to the mall, do anything. So I think after my dad died, she was free. Um, and so she called me and said, I'm doing this. And I said, wow. Okay. But something in my gut was like, I, I need, I need to do this. And it, it was, the timing was, was not optimal at all. It was the middle of an economic crisis. This is 2010 my husband and I just bought, you know, a five bedroom home for the family we were about to have. We just got married. We're thick into our careers, like at the peak of them. And all of that suddenly just didn't matter. Cause you know, I think when you go through loss and as to your point, when you go through tragedy, it's a gift in a way, because suddenly your perspective changes and you're like, I don't, tomorrow's not guaranteed. And so all these things that seem big are like, no, I'm, I'm going to do that because what if I, what if I go next year? Like, at least I'll have this under my belt. So quit my career. We sold our house um, and off we went. And it was basically a year of really intense study. We had like, wait, 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 sorry. I got to ask you sold your house. Did your husband go too? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, he did. My partner was there too. 
So it was like my mom and him and I, we were the youngest, like everyone else was retired. So we were just like the crazy ones. Um, and everybody at work was like, you're doing what? Excuse me? Like no one, this was 2010. So no one was talking about meditation and mindfulness then, like maybe yoga, right? But like, you're doing, you're going where? Like, and I, you know, I remember people were like, you're crazy. What are you doing? You have secure jobs. So, you know, but now all my clients are like, what did you learn? Can you come and teach us? <laughs> come to the office and do a workshop. <laughs> Hilarious, like a decade later. But we had teachers from all around the world come and, you know, we had 6 a.m. You know, we get up at like 4.30, 6 a.m. was meditation class. And then every few hours we had, you know, we had about six or seven classes for the day. We had tests. There were no weekends. It was seven days a week. I completely unplugged. I went from being very addicted to work and email to being like, I am not, had no access to internet, TV, friends. I told my friends, if you want to get a hold of me, you can write me a letter. So I sent and received 150 letters that year, which was really cool. But it was like, it was kind of like school. And we studied like a lot of incredible free religious scriptures from like 10,000 years ago about life and like, what, what is life all about? What is the meaning? All those questions I had at 16 um, you know, you know, came up and it was beautiful. It was challenging. It was a really challenging experience, but it was, it was beautiful. And I'm so grateful for it at the end of the day. What was it called? This place? Is it still around? Yeah, it was called, it's called the Chinmaya Vedanta Center. Again, I, there were more, there were some parts that were kind of religious, depending on who our teacher was. So that was a little tough because um, you know, I grew up Hindu, but I feel like now I just, I embrace all religions the same, but I think religion is a little bit of a stepping stone to spirituality. So yeah, but it, it does still exist today. I love uh, that take actually, religion being a stepping stone to spirituality. So is that like, because it's more of a community thing versus a personal thing? like with spirituality or I think it's it's a community thing it's an institutionalized thing you know there are rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts and there's a little bit of fear mongering there's a lot of stuff with religion that you know is a little challenging whereas I feel like spirituality it's like you in the universe there's no idols mm-hmm. you know there's no um it's just it's 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 kind of greater than that and it's the you know we're all one we're all connected through consciousness you know, just beautiful kind of life sayings and um, mantras and stuff to, to live by versus like, thou shall not blah, 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 <laughs> or, you know, how you feel going into a religious institution and, you know, you might not feel comfortable or things might not be accepted. I feel like spirituality has none of that judgment. All right, Nina, I'm going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. The Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. So this is probably the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor ever. Well, maybe legally we have to say probably, but I think off the record, it is. I agree. Off the record, I totally agree. There, one like major thing that I love about this smart monitor is if you, okay, if you start doing research on them, you notice a lot of them need to put something on your baby so that they can accurately track the vitals and the breathing, right? The Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor does not. It uses this like military grade thing called sensor fusion technology. And it just it just looks at your baby and can tell you everything. Yeah. Like I was listening to a podcast the other day with John Mulaney mm-hmm. and he was just slipping in. He's like, yeah, we just got a new baby. And I was watching him on the Miku. He just he casually, he dropped it. So I'm like, geez, the celebs are using the Miku. It must be the best. That makes me feel kind of cool. They can afford anything. 
Yeah, no, it is. It is so incredible. And it works with your phone to alert you of like changes to your baby's vitals or nursery conditions. This crypto security. So you can't hack it. Sorry, hackers. <laughs> the, mon- <laughs> the monitor also offers HD video and photo and like the best night vision that you could probably get. Plus, there's custom dual Ole Wolf speakers Ow. and a two-way microphone, which means that Miku not only plays like original sleep sounds and lullabies, but allows you to talk to and comfort your baby. So there's really everything you need, plus a ton of security benefits added to it. And you can get this at MikuCare.com. And if you use the promo code FAMILYTREE10, you're getting 10% off. This is available in the US only. But again, that is MikuCare.com and FAMILYTREE10. But we are also supported by True Earth. And if you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I have been trying to reduce our environmental footprint. And you also know that we are we, <laughs> I didn't know you were stopping there. We are. And we started dipping our, you know, toe into this environmentally friendly pond with switching our laundry detergent. Shane's giving me a look. By switching our liquid laundry detergent and plastic jugs with True Earth laundry detergent strips. So it is such an easy way to start being more environmental in your home. And it's it sticks. So this detergent comes in these soluble strips. You simply rip them apart, toss them in the in the machine, and there's no plastic packaging. So it takes up like zero space in your laundry room. I think we have four years worth of laundry in there. Yeah, whether you care about the environment or not. I don't know. Maybe you're listening and maybe you're a denier of some sort. <laughs> Who cares? It just keeps your house neater. And neater. it works so well. Yeah. So this isn't just for liberals. This is for everyone. <laughs> It is. It is. No, honestly, it it works beautifully. It keeps everything so clean. And we go for the kids. We get the baby detergent because, you know, it's fragrance-free. It's soft on everybody's skin. And it works so tough still. And Shane really took a liking to the Lilac Breeze scent, which we have been getting for our clothes lately. And it's just, it smells like, what, a spring morning? I don't know. If you put flowers in something, I'll... It all smells the same to me. But yes, it, for the sake of your little speech here, I'm in love with the lilac breeze. So check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order. And your order might be a single time order delivery or it could be a subscription. And you're going to get 10% off of your entire subscription, which is huge savings. So you're going to love this product. Take our word for it. Again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. And now let's get back to the interview with Nina. So, okay, going tech-free is something I'm so interested in because it is impossible. Like it is so, you know, and I look at my career right now and yours too. You go, I'm sure that you do a ton of your connecting with people online as I do. Yeah. I have a podcast. I do social media. And even today, like I took the day off from my job in education to stay home and nurse my concussion Yet I'm like, oh, I can't waste this opportunity to get other work done. So I'm on my phone all freaking day, which is terrible for my concussion. So I'm having to take breaks. And it is so hard to disconnect. So what do you go into businesses and ever talk about that? Yeah, I do full workshops. So one of the chapters in the book is finding your tech zen. 
Um, and there's a bunch of tips on how, how to create boundaries, how to disconnect. And I've done, you know, it's a part of my let that shit go workshop, but some of my clients have said, can you do an entire workshop on finding your tech son? Because especially since the pandemic, everyone is paper connected, you know, and to work like long gone are the days of like, I'm at work now from nine to five and I shut down my computer and now it's home life. No, 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 no. Everything, everyone has everyone's cell phone numbers. We're hooking up on Microsoft teams. Like, and so it really is about establishing boundaries, really strict boundaries and being able to adhere to them. Like, you know, don't look at your phone 30 minutes before bed or 30 minutes after you wake up, you know, there, there's a study that was done that said companies are actually losing 20 to 40% of efficiency because people are so connected. It takes 25 minutes to get into a state of flow and concentration, but we're getting interrupted every 11 minutes. So I'm telling these leaders, like you're dinging your team constantly. They're not focused on the brand plan or the strategic plan they're working on there because every time they come back, they're having a bout of writer's block. So I think, you know, it's things like unplugging on vacation. The world will freaking go on. If you don't check your email, you're not saving lives. Like that whole perspective, right? And it's like in Europe, you know, I had someone say to me, they take a minimum three weeks vacation because in some countries, because it takes two weeks to just disconnect, you know, I thought, gosh, in North America, like we take a week and we, we're still checking in. So, you know, I tell people, if you have to check in, if that's the culture, set boundaries, then don't bring your phone to the beach, check in from seven to eight every night. So there's lots of different types of boundaries and tips that you can do, you know, couple time, you know, if you're in bed, don't sit there and scroll together, or you're gonna, you know, it's gonna impact your intimacy, family dinner time, like we have like a no phones at the table, I try not to look at my phone between five and seven and spend time with my daughter. And I try to be really, really present. That's what mindfulness is all about as well. So I physically put my phone because once you hear the ding, oh, it's impossible. You you can't not look. Well, as a Canadian, you probably had a Blackberry at some point, right? Addicted to Did my you? crackberry. That's why I went to California. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, because it was like whenever I think about my attachment to my phone, I'm brought back to the early days of Blackberry when I just see the little red light flashing. And I just start to feel it. It was like, you know, I'd be out with friends or on a date or something and I'd be trying not to look, but I could just see that flashing. And I'm like, oh, I know something's waiting for me. And I have, and it's nothing. It's like probably my friends sending me a stupid poop emoji. And I'm like dying to see it. What's what is wrong? it? What is it? Yes. Yeah. No, I know. And we had, there's a woman by the name of Linda Stone and she coined the term email apnea. Should we actually have gotten so stressed out that we suspend our breathing when we check our email? That's how bad, like we stop breathing. We're like literally in fight or flight mode. So that's how crazy things are. So every time a notification goes off, you know, it's it's so unhealthy. So even things like going out for dinner with your friends, I try, you know, yeah, put the phone away, like give yourself little, no notice with social media when you're getting the tech hangover, when you're starting to feel gross from scrolling, like do it to the point of benefit. But if you're starting to creep, like, you know, ex-boyfriend from high school and like his family, like just stop, like catch yourself, right? And so (laughs) that's that's where- Who hasn't? Fair enough. But, you know, that's where the awareness, like the first chapter of a book is awareness, like being aware of what you're doing, because we're always just on autopilot. And when we're like that, we're not aware and we're just in this constant cycle. And that's where we're allowing our mind to control us, our emotions to control us. So just be aware when you're using tech and, and again, set some really strict boundaries yourself or as a family um, when it comes to that. Yeah. And when I say like, who hasn't, it's like every listener right now, 
I can guarantee it. If you are not a part of this and you're listening to this podcast right now, you need to DM me and I need to find out what you do. But honestly, who hasn't been in that position? Who hasn't been so drawn to whatever it is that their phone or social media holds? And it's scary and it's it yeah. sucks you in and it is so necessary to disconnect. And I'm I'm so bad at setting at doing that. So I do need to set hard boundaries. If you've seen the social the social dilemma on Netflix. Oh my God, yes. A bit ago. That came that out a while will, ago, right? That came out a while ago, but it gave everybody, I yeah. think, a bit of an ass kicking because it was like, wow, this is highly addictive. And even as women in our 30s and 40s, we have the wherewithal to know we're being manipulated or it's an algorithm or we're, it's the teens and the youth that my heart just breaks for because it's happening so subconsciously. So I think also, you know, being aware of like what tech is doing. Um, getting into the science of it and stuff really helps you stay disconnected. Yeah, no, I I am so terrified of all that. That's why I, I've, uh, what, maybe two years ago, I stopped using any kind of like filters on social media. Like um, I'd always Good. at least swipe the Paris filter, you know, just brightening and smoothing, whatever. But I, I swore off anything because I'm like, no, I need to, I don't even, I don't want my kids seeing me in a filter. And that's what exactly. it came down to. And that's what it wow. took for me to realize like, oh, I need to start taking steps on my own because I don't want my kids' perception of me or of themselves or of anybody else to be um, manipulated. So, right. but then I was kind of like, how how did it take this long for me to realize that, you know what I mean? It's It almost sounds narcissistic. I mean, it's good that you did because the, we are surrounded by filters there's yeah, filters yeah. where you can do just 50 things just on your face you know like your, your cheekbones and your eyebrows like it's ridiculous and so that's why you know I'm also an advocate of like the highlight reel right we're seeing the two percent highlight reel what you're seeing is not real even not just in pictures but what people are posting right and it's great that there's a now a phase and I know you you know you've posted about just more vulnerable like life isn't perfect I mean no one's posting their, you know, the nights they're crying themselves to sleep or the fights they're having with their partners or it's like, oh, the sexy vacation shots and this and that, you know, but that's not life. Like it's not. So if you're comparing yourself to that, you're not comparing yourself to a real person. You're mm-hmm. comparing yourself to everyone's highlight reel. So no wonder you feel like shit. So it's like, again, all this knowing of how, you know, how it's working and how it's impacting you and just, you know, keeping your distance, knowing everybody's got a real life behind the screen. Yeah. And Nina, I want to ask because you've you have one of the most unique stories that I've heard in so many ways, right? And I'm so curious what part of your life, what thing that you went through, whether it was, you know, the tragedy, the ashram, the losing your mom, the becoming a mother yourself, the disconnecting from a phone or getting the book deal, whatever it was, what event if there is one, stands apart in helping you kind of put things into perspective in life the most? Ooh, that's such a good question. I'd probably say when my mom died, because I, when my dad and brother died again, I was this innocent little 16. I couldn't even, you don't can't even process life itself. Forget that. So again, I kind of spiritual bypassed my way through life. And then when my mom died, I got the second reality check that holy shit. She's, you know, my dad, my brother was 10. My dad was 44. My mom was 61. 
you can go at any time. Mm-hmm. And that's when I said, because I came back from the ashram, I'm like, I wanted to spread all this knowledge, but it was 2011. And, you know, she died in 2014. And I had my daughter. So I think the combination of the two of being like, I want to be an example to her of doing what you love. And I had a monk say to me when I was in California, as long as you're walking a path that's not meant for you, you're going to feel like you're walking with a rock in your shoe. And I thought enough, like enough, I could, everyone's gone and I need to just jump in. And that's when everything, that was the, probably the biggest event that kind of catapulted me into like, let me just give it a shot. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, I just said, I'm going to give it a year. And, and I always have corporate jobs to fall back on. You always have that. So I'm going to give it a year. And obviously had a lot of talks with my partner about finances and, you know, you have to plan a little bit and, you know, here, here I am like five years later and I've got 50 clients and, you know, things are going, but it's just about jumping in. And to your point in the very beginning about, you know, how entrepreneurs kind of touch everything and anything. I think it's so important if you jump in to not try to anticipate you know, oh, I got to make money here and I'm going to make money doing this and I'm going to make this, sell this many books and go in with your purpose, go in with your mission. Like, you know, as I said, my giving people hope through tragedy and then let that manifest. I know easier said than done. And I have to plan. Like I, you know, I got to, I'm an entrepreneur. I got to plan a bit, but then let it go. It's like how the years unfold, just kind of let them go. And so, yeah, I think it was my mom losing my mom that just finally was like, wow. You know, anything could happen at any time, you know, you have to, you have to at least give it a try to live in a very authentic life and things kind of snowball from there. Man, Nina, thank you so much for sharing everything with me today. I'm like, I'm half at a loss for words. And then the other half of me has a million and one more questions to ask you. <laughs> we could do part two. <laughs> I want to do a part two because I want to I want to talk honestly. Or have coffee. Yes. Or I, let's do this in person since you're local. I honestly didn't know you were local, but it's local enough. But I want to talk about how motherhood itself has impacted you with all your experiences in meditation, with grief, with tragedy, everything, because that yeah. is a whole other topic. And like yes. 100% hell yes, please, I'll get a bottle of wine or a pot of coffee and we'll sit and record one in person. Let's do it. I like it. I love it. We'll, <laughs> we'll have a coffee and a wine. We'll be all like jacked up. Amazing. <laughs> Nina, where can people go to check you out online, follow around, buy your book, check out your services, hire you, everything? Thank you so much for asking. Um, to our point about tech addiction, I, I pick my poison with social media. So I am on LinkedIn for my corporate clients and I'm on Instagram. I just had a TikTok coaching session yesterday though. So I'm like, mm, let's see. Oh, you're, you guys are big on TikTok, right? So yeah, I, it's I'm, fun. I'm gonna it's... Maybe, I'm, yeah. So, so on Instagram, I'm Nina.pure.minds. On LinkedIn, I'm Nina Purewall, or you can find everything on my website, which is NinaPurewall.com. Um, the book is available at Indigo, um, in-store, in independent bookstores, um, online. Uh, and uh, yeah, Nina, Nina Purewalt.com. So thank you so much for having me on Alex and this great conversation. You had fantastic questions that really had me reeling and thinking. Um, so appreciate you thinking of me and uh, bringing me on the show. Oh my God. I'm so happy to have you. Honestly, it's been such a pleasure. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I honestly loved that conversation so much. She was such a joy, honestly, to talk to. And just so full of self-assurance. That's what I got from it, even if she sees it differently. 
and bravery. And I really want to, especially in light of, you know, what I talked about off the top, really want to take that into my life as well, because that's, that's something I need to work on. But again, thank you, Nina. And I cannot wait to have part two of that conversation and, you know, talk about how all of those things impact motherhood and, you know, trying to get on with your life as a parent when you have all of this behind you. And I want to call it baggage, but not in a negative way. It's just, you know, life baggage. We all have it, whether it's good or bad. I don't think baggage should inherently be a negative thing. But more to come on that. And until then, I want to get to our mailbag segment for this week. So this is where you write in questions on Instagram and I answer them. Usually me and Shane, but just me for today. So our first question for the day. 100 UK companies are doing a four-day week, same pay. Do you think others will adopt this? I hope everybody freaking adopts this. What are we doing with our lives right now? Okay, like Shane and I both work full-time jobs, nine to fives. We both work second jobs. He has a podcast of his own that he's had for what, like six or seven years now. We do this. We do social media. He has a show. These are all, it's like we both have three full-time jobs and then we're parents. Okay. And I mean, we're living comfortably. We are, we're able to do what we want to do. We don't have to, you know, look at grocery bills, but I mean, we can't, we budget in disorganized ways, I guess, unofficial ways. And we're not living super luxuriously. You know what I mean? So it's like if we're doing all of this, all of this, like what, five jobs between the two of us and we are still not rich? It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Things are so expensive. So why kill yourself like we are? I'm trying to take a page out of my own what I'm saying right now. Why kill yourself if you aren't going to you know, be reaping rewards from it. And we are in certain ways, but there's just such a fucked up mentality of, you know, work-life balance or a lack thereof right now or whatever that is. Okay, Lucy just brought me a calendar, Christmas calendar. Oh, you even wrote my name. You wrote Alex and you spelled it right. Oh, hon. And and this is, and what number is this? That's like... A hundred million. <laughs> Good job, Lucy. Thank you so much, honey. Come here. Okay, now go in your bed, okay? Okay, go make one for daddy. Go get a paper. Okay, hurry. Go, go, go. Lucy's doing uh, calendars for everybody in the family until the days leading up to Christmas. Anyway, we have strayed so far from a healthy relationship with work. And Nina touches on that in the interview even. You know, she says it used to be where you come home from your job, you aren't on the computer, we don't have cell phones, and you have family time. You have that time. But now it's like we're so connected, we're always reachable. It is so hard to differentiate and to have that work-life balance. It's almost impossible. So since we can't unplug, why the heck don't we just work four days in the week? Because then it forces people into 
getting that balance, right? And it forces companies to say, okay, we got to lay off our employees a little bit because they need time because right now people are burning out. Moms are burning out. Dads are burning out. People without kids are suffering. The kids are suffering because they feel it from their parents. I see it so much in my other job. I'm seeing so many kids who are feeling the effects of the burnout of the people around them and it screws them up too. It's not good for anybody and we need a solution because we are too connected now. And I think the four-day work week is phenomenal because then it allows people to actually do something of value on the weekend. Like who else is just struggling for that weekend time? Because, you know, we spend one day cleaning our house and just from the effects of the week And then we spend another day trying to get fun stuff in, but then we also have to do work on the weekend. It's so hard. If you've got three days, that makes such a significant difference for families. It honestly does. I hope more people adopt this because I think it is so doable. And so many studies have come out showing that it's good. Productivity increases because people are actually well-rested. They don't feel the need to go to work and procrastinate and socialize because they have a lot of that on the weekend. Like, I hope that this catches on. That would be so phenomenal. And if you're one of those weirdos who loves work and (laughs) never wants to be at home and wants a five-day work week, oh man, tell me. Tell me why you like that. I want to hear it out from the other side, but yeah, I couldn't do it. The next question for the day. I'm a pediatrician and a mom. What do you look for in a pediatrician? This is so important and I think a great question. We are currently leaving our family doctor because of her, not going to say ineptitude, but it's so hard to feel like we are being taken care of. Do you know what I mean? Like it's so hard to go there and to feel like, you know, we're getting seen for our issue and then we don't leave feeling good like we've got things under control. We leave with almost more questions every time and it's really hard. So I got both kids now with a pediatrician and I'm so excited for this because the pediatrician is amazing. What I value about them and this new pediatrician we're at is just the, first of all, they're great with the kids Like they really make the kids feel comfortable and they can kind of like level with them. They know how to talk to them. And that's such a skill. I mean, I think about so many doctors I've had and few of them have had, you know, good bedside manner. I remember a lupus doctor I had early in my diagnosis period left me crying my eyes out from an appointment. I was like a 21-year-old woman. And she goes, well, you're never going to be able to have babies. And if you do, it's going to be really, really hard and awful. And I was like, Jesus. It was, she did it with such like a deadpan Aubrey Plaza look, just staring at me as my eyes welled up with tears. It was horrendous. So to be able to connect with kids is obviously of utmost importance. But I want a doctor, ideally, and I know they're so busy and I know we have so few And doctors have so many patients, but if I could feel like somebody aside from myself is advocating for my health or for my kids' health, that would feel amazing. Because I do not feel like 
you know, in all the appointments I've had or the appointments I've had with my kids, I've just felt like nobody has actually cared and it's been really difficult, like mentally draining, emotionally hard. So to feel like they actually care would be phenomenal. And I remember like I saw a, uh, what do you call it, a naturopath when I was in my late teens, early 20s, right? Because I was the beginning of my lupus diagnosis. So I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me because I was getting all these migraines and chest pains and it was awful. And the naturopath really made me feel good. I just needed, in the end, like actual medication. So I ended up doing a bit of a blend of naturopathy and, you know, pharmaceuticals, whatever, traditional medicine. But the naturopath really, I felt like, put time aside for me, made me feel heard, was so happy to just listen to me and really was like interested in my problems almost, which I've struggled to find in like a family doctor or a caregiver since. My OB was phenomenal uh, who delivered both girls. And she also stands out so much as being so phenomenal. I know there's like so many amazing healthcare workers, right? But I mean, there's just not enough. There's not enough and it's so hard. And then when you have a bad experience with somebody, it really is hard to get on board with somebody else, I find. Because it it really, it hinders you in so many ways. But I think that is the most important I, things for me, at least, in finding a good pediatrician or one that I, I really connect with. Okay, next question. My husband always buys Christmas gifts last minute, whereas I am the organized one. Sometimes I feel that his last minute purchases are rushed in with little thought. Yeah, that is, isn't that like the cliche that guys are going to CVS or Shoppers Drug Mart and just picking up whatever little trinkets are in the Christmas boxes and wrapping that up for you? There's a great SNL sketch about that. And you know what? Like, just tell them. Tell them. You need to tell them. You can't go the rest of your life getting these stupid trinket things from the local drugstore, especially if you're putting time into his. Just tell them in a super nice way, hey, you know, I don't love this kind of thing. Be direct about what you want for Christmas. Give them options. I love options. Some people are like, oh, well, it's not romantic, whatever. You know, I they should know me well enough to get me something I like. It's hard sometimes. Shane directly tells me what he wants. I directly tell him what I want. So we essentially know what we're getting. But it still feels Christmassy. It doesn't take the magic out of it, I don't think. It's nice that somebody's getting you maybe something luxurious that you wouldn't get yourself. So the magic isn't gone but you do have to be direct with people sometimes. And I have found that in almost every facet of life, that is just the best approach. Like you have to do it. Otherwise, you're just going to be not suffering silently because you're still getting a gift and, you know, whatever. But you're going to be disappointed silently because most men, and I'm trying not to sound sexist here, but most men are difficult or have a difficult time buying gifts. I don't know what it is. Is it because they're not, you know, made to be raised to be as empathetic as women are, you know, playing with dolls, thinking about others and just taking on those gender roles? I have no idea, but a lot of them do suck. And in that situation, you just have to tell them. 
like I think, oh my gosh, I may have talked about it like years ago on this podcast, but I had a boyfriend in high school and he gave me one year for Christmas a bag, right? It was like a black bag. It said something stupid on the bag. I can't remember. It was from Spencer's, like that joke store. And then there was a sex, drugs, rock and roll bumper sticker. I did not drive. Uh, so I put it on my parents' car for a day to show them that, hey, we're using it and then took it down because it was said sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> and then what else was there? Oh, he gave me a t-shirt, but it was an XL men's shirt. It was like some band I liked, I think. It was XL men's. I'm never going to wear it. I don't know why he got me in men's extra large. It's like if they didn't have one that fit, just maybe don't get it. And then just a bunch of other really stupid like joke gag gifts that he thought I was genuinely going to love. And maybe I thought a couple of them were funny, but I was like, oh, yeah, this doesn't really speak to me. And for him, I got him this like awesome book of this artist that he loved with these like beautiful, it was like coffee table book, these beautiful prints of this artist's pictures. And I got him some music stuff for his musical instruments, like really put time and care into it. And then I got a joke gag gift bag from Spencer's. So guys are dumb. Tell them what you want. Get what you want. Everybody is better off for it. And then they feel good because they didn't waste their money on something stupid, you know? And the last question that I'm going to do tonight, people, strangers make comments to me all the time that my daughter is tall for her age. I'm sick of hearing it. Why do people feel like they can comment on my child's appearance? Do you have any suggestions on what to say back? Lucy, what's up? Your daddy's probably in his office or in the bedroom, okay? There he is, okay. Lucy, go upstairs. <laughs> All right, so if somebody's commenting on your kid's appearance, I mean, it would be great if we could just stop that. But if it's somebody you know well or somebody that you at least see a lot, you don't have to like them. But if it's somebody in your family, whatever, somebody that is in your general orbit, you have to tell them. It's like the guys getting crappy Christmas gifts. You have to tell them. Say, hey, it makes me uncomfortable when you just comment on my kid's appearance. We try to move away from look-based language. Right. And I mean, Shane and I do that. We don't really speak about looks in any way, positive or negative. Right. We do sometimes, but we do try to avoid it. So you just say that. Say we try not to use looks based language. But if you want to compliment something, here are some things you can compliment. You know, my kid is creative. They're working really hard at their spelling. They're, they did really well in basketball this week. Give them options. So they're not standing there thinking of something fun to say to your kid. And they're just like, oh, you're tall for your age. Nobody wants to be in a position where they don't have anything to say. So if it's somebody you know, just tell them directly. And if it's somebody that you don't know, somebody that is not in your orbit, a stranger, honestly, my thing is like as annoying as it is to have somebody say that, as annoying as it is to have somebody you know, that you don't know come up and like an old lady asked to feel your belly or something or just do it. None of these people mean any harm. And it's so tricky because like I get annoyed at things too. And honestly, it's just not worth it. It's best just to roll your eyes, say something back and get on with your day. 
you can tell if somebody is trying to be malicious or be rude or make your day worse. You know what I mean? But if somebody's just like, oh my gosh, your kid, your daughter's so tall for her age. They're just trying to be nice. They're just trying to be conversational. And who knows, maybe conversation's really hard for them. But I think we just say, oh yeah, I know for the three millionth time and leave it. Because I think in general, people are having a really hard time just letting things be nowadays. And it, it is, you know, we get offended by things. And people say things to moms or to women all the time that isn't cool to say. And we're tired of hearing it. But I think if it's a stranger and they mean well, honestly, what I do is I say something back. Then once my back is turned, I roll my eyes and I walk away. And I am genuinely a happier person for it. But folks, that is all for today. And I am so glad that you could join me for this cathartic brain spewing of everything I have to say, even though that was so hard for me. And I hope that you were able to follow along with my concussed brain. But thank you so much for joining me on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 154.